You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, Psalm 126. It is good to be here tonight. I pray God will speak to our heart through the Word of God. And uh, I'm on a different time zone than uh, Lincoln is. Lincoln's in West Virginia. And so I've been FaceTiming with him throughout the day, trying to. He's so busy and popular, he doesn't have time for me. But I've been trying to talk to him. And he was so excited because for the first time in his life, he got to eat a West Virginia delicacy. Now, I think we can get it here, but we don't buy it anymore. And it's called bologna. Have you ever heard of that? Bologna. And he was so excited. That's the first thing he says, like, Dad, I got to eat a bologna sandwich. I said, how was it? He said, I threw up. I said, amen, brother. And uh, my mom said, he did, all over the car. So that was a blessing. He's getting culture where he is, and I'm excited for it. Psalm 126. We're going to read verse number one down through the end of the psalm, verse number six. And I'll give you the thought for tonight. And I've enjoyed studying through this from Sunday afternoon, really, until today. And uh, I pray God will speak to us about this. Now, remember, these psalms are songs, and they are psalms or songs of degrees or ascent. And what I mean by that is these pilgrims, as they would sing, really is going higher up on the music scale, but also they see themselves as ascending to the presence of God. And these are songs that they would sing on their pilgrimage that they would make maybe three times a year to Jerusalem. And as they would go, can you imagine that called out assembly? They would sing the song as they went. And that singing of those saints would echo through the hillside as they would march. And that's a good picture of what ought to be the Christian life. Now listen, you might not always feel like singing, but you and I can always have a song. And the world ought to be able to hear our song. And when you got saved, the Bible said God put a new song in our mouth, even praise unto our God. So look with me here at this song of degree, Psalm 126. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Now watch this. This verse almost seems out of place. The Lord hath done great things for us. It's like he interjected there. He is looking back and he's rehearsing what God had done and how the world had reacted to what God had done. And it was so good that he said, I want to call time out and shout right here. And I want to get in on this thing and say, God's done great things for us. And I would say verse number three is the heart, if you will, of the psalm. You got to underline it, put a parenthesis around it. This is really the heart of this song. Verse 24, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. If you look at the psalm, it begins with dreaming. Verse number one, it was so good they dreamed. It ends with sheaves. Reminds me of the story of Joseph and the dream that he had and how God blessed his life. But if you were to look through the psalm, the reoccurring theme of this song is joy in being a child of God. If there is somebody who ought not walk around all the time with a pooch lip and droop shoulders and their head hanging down, their feet shuffling, pessimistic about everything, it is a born-again person. Amen. Your best day saved is better than or your worst day saved is better than your best day lost. And you and I should not be governed by external stimuli. We should not be governed by circumstances. We should have that which governs us within, and that is the Lord who rules and reigns in our heart. And that's why Paul said we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he said rejoice. 
For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought, joy along the journey. Joy along the journey. And there's three aspects of joy that these pilgrims found that could cause them to rejoice in the Lord. Let's look at it tonight. God, I pray for your help, please. I pray that you help me to preach this thought. I pray that you'd give me liberty to preach, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Constant friction wears out even the strongest things. With time and with use, I don't care what it is, there is wear and tear. I don't care how strong it is, how fixed it is, you give it time, time will wear it out. Where I, I said Lincoln is now, if you were to go there where they are, they're camping this week, and you see those mountain streams in West Virginia, the rocks and the boulders around those streams are not jagged and they are not rough. Now, they're hard, but they're not jagged and rough. They're very smooth. They're very beautiful, really. And you look at those stones, and the reason they look like that is over time, the water has worn them down. Well, on the same note, let me say this. Life is a wearing thing. Life is a 180-degree proposition. It can turn around and about face in a hurry. Most of the things that you and I encounter in life, they tend to change. Uh, physically, we change. And emotionally we change, and finances change, and people change, and our life can get turned around and that in a hurry. Life is seasonal, that's what I mean. Life is conditional. Life is circumstantial. It swings from one pole to the other. It slides from one end of the spectrum to the other. And the experiences of life and the emotions of life constantly change. For example, here's what I mean. Along the journey of life, there are moments of happiness and then quickly moments of sorrow as well. There are times of ecstasy and there are times of agony. There are days where we experience peace. There are times where we have worry. There are good days and there's also some bad days. And just like the tide rises and falls and the sun rises and sets, life changes and it changes all the time. But I want to say this tonight, standing steady and sure, steadfastness, all the things that change in the Christian life ought to be the characteristic of joy. You and I as saved people can have this constant in our life of the joy of the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. The tide might change on my happiness, but thank God the tide does not have to ebb and flow on my joy. The tide might change on my peace, but it doesn't have to ebb and flow on my joy. The sun may set on the good day, but thank God it does not have to set on my joy. Like a north star fixed in my life, I can find solace in joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, steadfast and fixed, because that joy is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 126, this song of degrees, the overarching theme is the theme of joy. And it's the, theme, the joy, rather, of exiled people who have been returned to their native land. If you study out the psalm, you find it contains praise, it contains prayer, and it contains promise. And let me say, those are pretty good ingredients to build the Christian life on. Build the Christian life around praise, prayer, and promise. Now, this is a song of a pilgrim who has taken a long and arduous journey, and he's found there's joy at every stop along that journey. Tonight, I believe the Christian life ought to be characterized by a number of things. For example, the Christian life ought to be characterized by growth. It is just normal and natural that a saved person grows in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be the norm that we stagnate. It ought to be the norm that we always press on to higher ground with God, growth. I think the Christian life ought to be characterized by distinction or consecration to God. We ought to be separated unto the Lord. 
The Christian life ought to be characterized by holiness. God said, be ye holy for I am holy, and we should try and be as holy as we can to glorify God. The Christian life ought to be characterized by prayer. We ought to be a people of prayer. And there's a number of things that I won't take the time for tonight. But one thing for sure, for certain, that I characterize a life of a Christian is the character trait of joy. Now listen, joy and happiness are not the same thing, and I know you understand that. Happiness is dictated by what happens around me. But joy is consistent because joy is that which lives within me. Happiness is in my circumstance, but joy is in my Christ. Happiness is in possession, but joy is in a person. Happiness can be controlled by you, but my joy is controlled by him that lives within me. And you and I, different from this world, ought to be characterized by joy. Now the world is chasing happiness, and they're chasing it a hundred miles a minute. They spend their money, they waste their time trying to find something something to take the edge off and satisfy and fulfill. What they don't know is they're not looking for a thing. They're looking for somebody. What they need is the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. But listen tonight, if you're saved, you have Jesus in your life. You and I can have joy and have it all along the journey of the Christian life. Joy in the Lord. Jesus said in John 15 that he'd give us his joy. John 15, he said, I want your joy to be full. 1 Peter 1, 8 said, we have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Philippians 4, 4, I've quoted a minute ago, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Nehemiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you study the Bible, you will find the constancy of joy in the life of a believer. But equaled with that is the stabilizing force or the, the, the assuring factor that comes with that joy. What do you mean by that? I mean, that is how a man like Daniel can have that kind of faith even in Babylon, the joy of the Lord. That is how David could sing those songs even when he was being cursed and slandered by others around him. Why? Because the joy of the Lord. That is how Moses could remain optimistic, leading a murmuring people. How? The joy of the Lord. That's how Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God at midnight, and the prisoners heard them, and it led to a man getting saved. What was that? It was the joy of the Lord. And let me say tonight, more necessary than bread to a starving man, or water to a thirsting woman, or shelter for one without a home, or clothing for, that, clothing for that one who is naked, you and I cannot survive without the joy of the Lord. I think it was Lester Olaf said, there's more joy in Jesus in one minute than you find in the world in a year. He said, that's why the world sells everything in packs and in cases. Do you think about that? He said, the world sells you cigarettes in a pack because it takes a bunch of them to pleasure, bring pleasure. The world will sell you alcohol in cases because it takes a lot of those to bring any kind of pleasure. He said, but I'll tell you this, I didn't need a pack of Jesus, it just took one. Let me give you three aspects of joy here in this text. And if you want to say amen, I won't tattle on you, okay? It'll be fine. Tonight, they're free. All right, so let's look here. Three different aspects of joy. What did these pilgrims rejoice in? Number one, they rejoiced or found joy in their rescue. Look at verse number one and two. I love it. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Now picture it. This is a crowd marching towards Zion and they're singing and they have joy in their heart. And the reason they have this joy well that is bubbling over within them is because they can look back on their past and undeniably say that we used to be in bondage 
bondage and now we're not. We used to be enslaved and now we're not. We used to be in chains and now we're not. We used to be oppressed by an adversary, but thank God we have been rescued. And they say it in verse number one, the Lord turned again our captivity. They say the Lord showed up right on time and got us out of the mess we were in. He broke the bars and broke the chain and he set us free and they rejoiced in that. Now listen, number one, they rejoiced in their freedom, captivity. No longer are they in captivity, they are free. They had known what it was to be in bondage. Now wait a minute. The people who would have penned this psalm were not the cause of the bondage. It was their fathers that sinned and rebelled against God and led them into judgment. This will make a Baptist shout on Wednesday night. This crowd did not cause the original offense, but they were born into a judgment-bound family. Oh, my. They were born in judgment. They were born in bondage. They were born enslaved. But thank God, though they did not cause the original transgression, God in his grace showed up in their generation, walked into the den of the adversary, broke the bar, and set them free. Now, we can apply that. You and I are the same. Though we did not cause the original transgression, our father Adam did in the original sins. He sinned, and sin passed upon all men for that all of sin. But I'm glad that I was born into bondage and enslaved to sin that I can testify and say, Jesus rescued me. I'm glad he set me free. He broke the bar and tore the chain asunder. And now I'm a child of the king because of a rescue that freed me. You see the freedom that they got. But watch this, the feeling that it brought. You see what do you mean? It felt like they were dreaming. If you really get a grip on how lost you were and now how saved you are, we wouldn't have to prime for 20 minutes to get somebody to say God's been good this week. The most depressing and discouraging thing in my life is whenever I ask, anybody got a testimony? And it's crickets. Only the crickets have a testimony. Because nobody else can drop a bucket down deep enough to drop any kind of experience where God's been good. <laughs> That's not true. Hello, God has been good to all of us. I mean, we think about it. Boy, I wasn't the drunk out there. I wasn't the rapist. I wasn't the dope dealer. I wasn't the terrorist or the murderer. No, but it took just as much grace in God to get you saved as it did a bum on the street or a drunk on the bar stool. Every single one of us tonight ought to be in hell with our back broke right now. And if it ever clicks in our brain how good it is that God gave us grace and mercy and saved us from hell, we'd walk around all the time and say, these men are drunk. We're not drunk as you suppose. It's the third hour of the day. We've just been with the Lord. He's been good in our life. You see, they've been freed, and it felt pretty good to be out of bondage. Then you see the festivity calls them to laugh and sing. Vocal expression of being glad they weren't in bondage. That's what I mean. That's that, amen. That's what that means. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm not wired that way. Yeah, you've been rewired that way. Psalm tells me when 150, everything that has breath is supposed to praise the Lord. Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl has cause to say God's been good. Amen. And I think the Lord likes it, by the way. So we can see their freedom. We see the feeling. We see the festivity. But watch the fruit of their rescue. The end of the verse number two. Look what it says. They said among the heathen, the Lord had done great things for them. I like that. You know what it means? Their joy was a witness to the world that God had been good for them. 
Their joy spoke to the lost people around them that God was real. The expression of their gratitude for God getting them out of that captivity, the world could look on that and say, boy, God has done great things for that crowd. I tell you, the worst, the, the, the worst hindrance to evangelism is dead Christianity. People who come to church like they've been made to go. And they sit in the seat like they've been sentenced to sit. Amen. And they talk about their salvation like it's some terminal disease and not eternal life. Everybody all right? And it's like they've got some kind of tumor growing inside of them. So the Holy Ghost of God who comforts and guides and teaches every. It's, it's like we, we have no hope beyond this life. And you come in church and you sit there deader than a hammer. And I, we, we sit there deader. They, they, let's talk about the crowd who's not They sit there deader than a hammer. And then we wonder why nobody wants to get saved. Man, you'd have to pay me to take a shot of what some of y'all seem like you have. Amen. I think i got to get a doctor's note, parents' permission slip. I don't want that. It looks miserable to me. Man, if, I, tell you, I, I don't know. I, I just have a hard time. I get excited about a lot of things. I think I'm just wired like that, like antsy or whatever. Like, um, what's that called when your leg won't quit moving? Or whatever it is, I've got all this kind of thing. So I'm just naturally that way anyway. But, I mean, we might as well get that way about the Lord. I mean, I'm fine with you getting excited about other things as well. That's not a problem. If you want to get excited about that, go for it. I don't care. Like, I don't know. If, if the person you liked on The Bachelor wins or gets the rose, I don't care. Whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. But, I mean, we might as well get excited about the Lord. God's been good in our life. You see that? And look, here's what it does. When lost people come in here and the choir sings and we say amen, it makes them think there must be something to that. The preacher preaches the Bible, and we say, oh, that's good right there. They think, well, that must be, there must be something to that. They, they, they hear an amen or see a raised hand or watch a tear run down the cheek. You know what the lost world thinks? Hey, there must be something more to that. Amen. So we see their rescue. Let's go quickly. We'll get out. Uh, number two, they joined in their rescue. Number two, they joined in restoration. I like this verse. Look at verse number four. After the parenthetical statement or the heart of the song, verse number four, here, here it is. First they talked about the fact the Lord had brought them out of captivity, but watch this. Now they're trusting in God to do it again. Look at verse four. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now it's very interesting. This is a crowd that has been brought out, but now they're begging God to give them something Else. They're not talking about rescue. They're not talking about redemption, if you will. They're talking about God bringing them back to a former state that they had lost somewhere along the way. The wording of this verse is so poetic and beautiful. If you understand the climate and the terrain of that region, especially in that day, as that southern region, so arid and dry, would have those stream beds coursing through it that had nothing but dirt therein. But every once in a while, out of nowhere, suddenly, I mean, all the sudden the heavens would open and the rain would fall and that parched and dry fallow ground would get saturated and that which was dead and dry and arid and no life at all all of a sudden because the rain came that which was dead brought forth life again and restoration came here's what I mean there's only one new birth but I'm glad there's a lot of new beginnings because you see what it says it's a repetitive Rest, you know what restoration is? You ever restore something like an old car? You take an old car and then you bring it back to its former beauty, right? You bring it back to its former condition. You know, God is in the redeeming business. Sure he is. But I'm glad he's also in the restoring business. I'm glad God doesn't junk his children. 
<laughs> Amen. I'm glad God will restore his children. And watch this. It's repetitive. You see what he says in the verse? Turn again. He's saying, God, you've done this before, but could you do it for us again? You know what he's saying? A just man follows seven times, but rises up. What? Again. He's saying, God, we, we've needed this before, and I know you've blessed us and been good in our life, and then we, we, we were dumb, God, and we got away from you, and we messed up again, and we don't deserve it, but God, would you do it again? And I'm glad that's our God tonight. I'm glad he's a God not just of a chance or a second chance, but God has enough chances for you as long as you want to come back to God. I'm glad God's in the restoration business, and he'll do it again. I think about it in Mark, and I think it's chapter number two, and the Bible said, and again, he came to Capernaum, and I like that. It means he'd been there before, but he passed back by their way again, and on that day he changed a man's life. I'm glad maybe God has passed you by a thousand times and you've yet to get right, but he'll come back by again and give you another opportunity. It's repetitive. It's renewing. You know what I mean by that? When that water would rush through, it would break up that fallow ground. Now listen, you might as well sow seed on this platform as to sow seed on fallow ground. You're wasting your time. You and I might as well get a bag of seed, go out into the parking lot, and try to get something to grow out in the parking lot. Now, it might in the cracks if we don't seal that thing. But anyway, it, it shouldn't grow. That's what the unrepentant heart is like. The heart that refuses to be chastened, convicted, and confess is like hard ground, fallow ground. What they're saying is, God, would you let these streams run through and turn over and break up all those areas in our life that we've withheld from you. And where we've hardened ourselves towards you, would you break up the dry soil? So it's repetitive, it's renewing, but I like this, it is readying. The purpose of this is, another aspect is, these agricultural, these farmers in that region would use irrigation. And when it was time for their crops, they would open up the floodgates and let the water come. Why'd they do that? They were preparing that ground to bring forth fruit again. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but aren't you glad that God can bring forth fruit out of restored soil? <laughs> I'm glad God doesn't just set that field aside and put a sign on it saying that's a restored field. Amen. But God will go through that field again and sow seed and it can bring forth life. They joyed in that. They joyed in rescue. They joyed in restoration. One more and we'll be through. They joyed in reaping. This is what I just mentioned. Look at verse 5 and 6, and we'll be through with this song. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Now, that's a definite promise. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Probably, if you've not heard the rest of this psalm, you've heard that. And if you've heard that, you've probably heard it out of context. But it's okay. It's still good application. That verse is not saying anything about soul winning, but it can. We can use that. It's, not, it's fine. But if you study this psalm in context, and I'm a big advocate of reading and preaching and studying your Bible in context. So if you do that, you find out what we're talking about is these people who have prayed for restoration. God is now promising them that if they will in sincerity go forth and try to cultivate their life anew in that restored state, that they can be just as productive as they were before. Now, if you're visiting with us from heaven tonight and never needed restoration, that probably doesn't excite you. But if you're like the rest of us, 
Amen. And have needed just a measure of grace from time to time. Because you see what he says in verse 5? He says, so in tears. And then he said in verse number 6, goeth forth and weepeth. He's talking about you can go out. Now watch, the streams, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God, the, the water of God, the, the, the cleansing of God, the Word of God, all these things have taken place now. That ground that was parched and hard has been broken up, it's been renewed, it's been ready. He said, now it comes your turn. You can go forth in sincerity. I mean, I'm talking about a a real heart for God, a hunger to do right, uh, with every intent to live a holy life pleasing to God. And you can sow, but if you sow, you must sow in tears. It is not casual. It is not flippant. It is not popping bubble gum, skipping down to an altar, and then getting up and going back the way that you came. But I mean, do business with God. He said, you can come in sincerity and you bring precious seed. What is precious seed? If you think about it, farmers back then, their seed was their everything. It was their livelihood, it was their income, it was their hope. They would have no harvest if they did not have that seed. And when they sowed that seed in the ground, they were basically putting all that they had in that readied soil. You better believe it's precious. It's all they had to offer. But why is it precious? What is the seed? It's the promise that if you sow in tears, you'll reap in joy. He said, you go out there and you sow your precious things into that restored ground. You say, what do you mean? You go out there and you sow your hope into that. And you sow your, 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 your love into that. And you sow your faithfulness into that. And here's the blessing. Usually when you sow, you reap what you sow. That's not true in this psalm. Aren't you glad for that? If I sow tomatoes, tomatoes, if I sow tomatoes, you know what I get? You don't know, do you? Bless your heart. You get tomatoes. If I sow, sow beans, you know what I get? Indigent. No, beans, you get that. I don't sow beans and get potatoes, right? Well, that's not right here. Because right here it tells me when I sow with weeping, I reap joy. God doesn't give me back what I put in. He gives me back something better. Amen. So they joyed in the fact, now listen, you've been rescued after the rescue you might need restored. But here's the good news. You can go out in that field that's been readied by God and you can sow in that and it'll bring forth fruit just like it would have if it never needed the stream to flow. Isn't that a blessing? So you better believe they had reason to have joy. Because what this does is it encompasses the entirety of our life saying that no matter how bad we miss it or mess it up, God can still fix it. <laughs> and God can bring fruit out of it. And there's joy all along the journey. And I like it at the end, and I'll close. The surplus of the blessing, he said, you'll bring your sheaves with you. You know what a sheave is? It's a whole bunch of blessing. It's not just one stalk. It's a bunch of them. It's a, what do we call those things? What are those things called? It Fodder shock? What are those things called? Anyway, it, it, you bring in all of it. What he's saying is you'll get more than you could ever ask for. Exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ever ask or think. He said, if you'll just sow, you're going to reap pretty good on that thing. And I want to challenge you. Listen, we're not to be conditioned or governed by that which happens around us because we cannot control it. But we are to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And by letting God sit on the throne... Most Christians love baby Jesus in his manger, and they like Jesus on the cross. They despise him on his throne. 
But if we'll let Christ sit on our throne, our heart's throne, and let him rule there, we'll have peace that passes understanding and joy unspeakable and full of glory throughout the journey of life. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, Brother Cooper, I don't feel like I have much joy. No, you're probably thinking happiness. I'm talking about joy. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. Joy is found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ, and I promise you that. And tonight, if you're saved, he is yours and you are his. And you can have joy along this journey. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.